Welcome to the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party with my dad and my sister Mary. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Sneaky Dragon Listening Party. My name is David Dedrick. And my name is Mary Dedrick. And welcome to the Sneaky Party. Sneaky Party. Welcome to this little listening party rumpus room, Mary. That's the new name for a surprise party. I a cannot. Sneaky party. A sneaky party. I can't even sneaky. say. We say when the person comes in. That's what we say. Oh, I like that idea. Yeah, actually. it's not. You don't say surprise. You say sneaky. <laughs> it's good. It's like a surprise party. I like it. But sneaky instead. Well, this is a sneaky party yes. celebrating uh, music. Mm-hmm. It is. And what we do in the show is we listen to songs, and Mary and I talk about them. We talk about the history of them, uh, sort of the well, context some of the songs were made in. Well, you're welcome to uh, pipe in with your own thoughts, Mary. Of course, I could. I usually don't, but I guess I could. Yeah, I guess I'm free to uh, do some simultaneous research. That'd be that'd be fun. I wouldn't do that. That'd be fun. I have other things to do. Yeah, me too. But I'm I, watching I still a lot do of it. Phineas and Ferb <laughs> because of Disney Plus. <laughs> Everything, a lot of uh, Dr. Oakley Yukon vet. Everything has become an ad for Disney Plus over the last little while now. Has it been? Yeah. Oh, okay. Everything. Everything. Mm. Everyone's talking about it. Even on Sneaky Dragon, our question of the week for this past week is uh, what show are you looking forward to watch on Disney Plus? Well, I got it, so now of you have things. it too. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you, dear. <laughs> so I just really wanted Phineas Ferb, Gravity Falls, and Dr. Oakley Yukon vet. That was the that's all whole, I care about. That's all you care Amanda about? Amanda what? <laughs> Phineas and Ferb, you guys. I know. I found out found the Mandalorian doesn't play a mandolin. I was like, screw this show. What garbage. <laughs> I would even call it that. I don't even know what it's... I honestly, for the longest time, it was only within the past couple days that I realized it was uh, Star Wars, not Marvel. Oh, okay. I honestly thought it was Marvel. I was like, didn't they already have a character named the Mandalorian? Is, what, is it about him? Who, Marvel? And yeah, uh, Iron Man 3. Is he called the Mandarin? Oh, the Mandarin. Oh, the Mandarin. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> s- similar. It's exactly the same. Only different words. Yeah, you know. But other than that... It has the same ending. I mean, and the same beginning. <laughs> yeah. That's like the same word. Uh-huh. So, Mary. Yes? Did you welcome everyone into the rumpus room? Um, Welcome, friends and foes alike. <laughs> well, that's very inclusive of you. Yeah, I do my best. Welcome enemies and friends of the show. <laughs> Keep your friends close. Keep your enemies closer, you know? Keep them locked in a rumpus room. Keep them locked in a rumpus room. <laughs> yes. So... We are uh, going through, we're listening to music, but it's not just music that we're listening to. The idea of the show is that we are listening to music that I put together for various listeners to Sneaky Dragon. Oh, I thought you meant we were going to listen to an audiobook this time. Mm. I was like, well, that would be the Sneaky Dragon Book Club. That is a long mixtape. That's a long mixtape. I've thrown together five novels on a mixtape for you to listen to. And they're all by Anthony Trollope. We'll be here for four years. Have we talked about how it's really dark really early now? And it makes me sleepy. Does it make you sleepy? Yeah. Well, it doesn't make me sleep at all, but okay. It's, what time is it? It's like 5 p.m. And it's been pitch black for like an hour and a half. Yeah, it's that time of year. And it makes me sleepy. Why would it make you sleepy? Because it's dark out. Well, yeah, but... There's no sun. (laughs) Okay. And the sun has the power of making me more awake. Okay. And the the darkness darkness does not. It has the opposite power. (laughs) It's the opposite power. Of making me more asleep. Wow, you must have a very short day in the wintertime. I do. Wow. Yeah. It doesn't affect me. Hmm. Weird. I don't get sad. Hmm. I don't get happy. Okay. It's just the same old, same old. All right. That 
does track actually based on <laughs> you and what I know of you. Well, how do you mean? You're pretty constant. Yes. I keep a constant state of fur- fury. Yes. That's what, I mean. that's what I meant. <laughs> exactly. That's why we call you Mad Max. <laughs> colon Fury Road. My colon is a fury road. That's true. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Oh, let's explore that more. No, I'm leaving. So <laughs> this is bad. It got bad. So we started it. I did not start the colon. <laughs> the the colon uh, discussion. Yeah. Anyway. So uh, I think I was talking about the fact that what the idea of the show is that I um I take oh yeah we got mixtapes from listeners or no listeners sent me CDRs I made mixtapes <laughs> for them then this so often I'm hardly even thinking about Why it anymore. Why are we still explaining what this podcast? I don't know. Is. You always Just make like, me do it. I don't though. Just go back to the first episode, y'all. Like, <laughs> but you do every time we start the show. You're like, Dad, should you explain what the show's about? No, that is untrue. No, that's totally true. I, you were putting. Words I believe listeners who are regular listeners to the show will attest to the truth of this. That no. I'm quite willing to go into the show without any any I kind of exposition. Am, that's not true. And then you are like, Dad. We need an exposition dump before we start the but show. But I mean, you could, I'm just saying you could, you could condense it a bit. Yeah. We don't need like, it's like when you're reading a, okay, it's like when you're reading a book. Yeah. And the first like whole for, first chapter is like summarizing like everything that happened in the last book and yeah. talking about who all the characters are. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I know, like I get that this was published <laughs> like three years after the last one came out, but I'm reading it concurrently. Yeah. Because... I bought them at the same time because yeah. I'm buying it like 15 years after it was written and I just finished it. I don't need this whole first chapter where they're like, Oh, this I'm the main character and this is my whole story. And you're like, I know, I know who you are. Just get into the, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I think that's helpful. I mean, for people like, I know that you're reading it in a particular way, but other people read it another way. And I think that everyone deserves a, a chance to figure things out. Figure. And it's like going to, when we went and saw Pirates of the Caribbean too, I had no idea what was going on or who anyone was. Yeah, but that's because you're old. No, it's not because I'm old. I saw the first film. Yeah, but I think the older you get, the harder it is to understand media. I don't think that's true at all. I'm pretty sure that's true. I don't think so, Mary. I'm pretty sure that there's a meme about it. It says, (laughs) old man yells at clouds. (laughs) And it's that Simpsons with Abe Simpson shaking his fist at a cloud. Yes, but that's that's just like general anger at everything old people have. And it's more about, I don't think it's about anger, actually. I think it's about disappointment. Mm, Yeah. Because there's nothing more disappointing than, than younger generations. Really? Oh, yeah. They do nothing but disappoint you. Hmm, thanks. Every choice they make. Thank you. Appreciate just like, that. what were you thinking? That's nice. What are you guys doing over there? That's, uh, Knock it off. Great to hear, Dad. <laughs> nice to hear. That's nice to hear, my father. <laughs> I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about yeah, older generation. Yeah, but you're an old person. I am not old, Mary. Are you sure? I'm fairly old, but not old. But, like, old. you're older than me, and I'm I am older old, than you. So. That's true. You're not any, are you pretty old? Yeah. How old are you? 25. Oh, that makes you feel old. <laughs> I am old, but I'm not talking about you. You do not disappoint me. Oh, okay, thanks. You, you, I'm that. constantly, I'm constantly uh, amazed by you. Oh, thank you, Dad. Just so I know. You know, I know that. Yeah. You don't have to say it. I know. It. <laughs> you, you know, you say that enough off the podcast. But He's not good. just nice on the podcast, you guys. He's a nice dad <laughs> off the podcast too. There you go. Um, despite my fury, he's not one of those dads who made us live in like a hamster ball. We never got any affection. What? You're not like that. Oh, I'm not like that. No. no that's good. No, I was very affectionate while you were inside that hamster ball. It's true. We shared the same hamster ball. <laughs> it's very cramped. <laughs> <laughs> Rolling around. How do we get out of here? It's like we were watching The Meg a while ago. Oh, my my condolences. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. It was, it was rough. I watched it too. Um, 
And yeah, at the end, there's like that big beach scene, and there's those people who are like running on the water in those big hamster balls. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you're like, wouldn't that just be like a hot, <laughs> hot, like full <laughs> no. of farts? Like, isn't the fun part of going to the beach, like hanging out in the water? I'm just like running in like this hot stink ball. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> that someone before got motion sickness in and threw up in and had to get washed out. <laughs> so it's just full of like sloshy water. Ugh. Yeah. yeah, it's just terrible. I mean, it's one of those things that. They put in movies because they look cool. Yeah. But like the reality of it. The them. reality is no one wants no one wants that. Yeah. It's like when you Duncan has or my my partner was a chef for a while mm-hmm. and he's got a big issue with um when you go to a restaurant and get like eat something and he can always tell if no one in the kitchen has ever actually tried to eat it. Okay. Like, it just, it looks good, but <laughs> yeah. trying to eat it is like a nightmare. Uh, you mean like trying to cut it or... Yeah, or just like, like, it's just... like hand food, but it just like yeah. completely dissolves. Okay, okay. You know? Yeah, Stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Or like, there's, oh my God. Okay, there's a food truck in Vancouver that is very good. It's called Japa Dog. Yeah. Have you been there? They they always park outside the Bancaf. Yes, they do. That's where I first had a Japa dog, mm-hmm. and they also um, park in Kitsilano sometimes, which okay. is where Duncan used to live. Yeah, and Japa dog is good. Their hot dogs are very good. Mm-hmm. They're like hot dogs with like Japanese flavorings on them, right? Yeah, yeah. We were in. Nothing. No one. No one. No one on earth wants anything more than a hot dog with seaweed on it. That's yeah. what people were like. Fifty years ago, people were like, "Hot dogs are pretty good." You know this needs seaweed. One day okay. someone's going to think of that. They're very good. Okay, but we were at this <laughs> restaurant and they had Japanese hot dogs, or like Japa dogs. Yeah. We were like, oh, cool. I like Japa dog. Mm. And it was awful. It was like a hot dog and then someone just put like ramen noodles on it. What? But like the really thick ones. Uh, like the really thick, like yeah, wormy yeah. ones. Yeah. And they were just like on the hot dog. And it was so bad. It was like disgusting. It was inedible. It was awful. <laughs> uh, yeah, because Japa dogs are pretty good. Yeah, but this, not good. They don't put ramen noodles in there. No, they don't. They put like they have like whatever they have like Japanese mayonnaise. Yeah, and, and Japanese they do, mayo. They do do they do put seaweed on. Yeah, there. but I mean you know they got different ones. You can yeah. get different stuff on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So with that in mind, when I sent CDRs to people, I hope I didn't send them a nightmare. I they were curated by me. Of course, they reflect my tastes, and you always hope that there'll be a little bit of like. Uh, you know, a bit of a, like, meeting. Crossover. Yeah, some crossover, some meetings, like a little, you know. It wouldn't agree on everything. Like, not everyone's going to be like, oh, Dave loves twee psychedelic music from the late 60s. That's my favorite thing. Uh, that's, a, you know, that's an, obviously a minority fl- taste. Uh, but most of the music I like are minority tastes. Yep. You know. Or they were, but they were popular at one time. That's why they're they're there. Mm-hmm. You know, like bubblegum music was once all the rage. Oh, yeah. Nowadays, no one, hardly anyone can stand it, but I still think it's great. Me too, but that's probably because I grew up with it. Mm-hmm, that's true too. And, you know, when I discovered um, what's called Toy Town Psych, uh, you know, I was I was psyched. Mm-hmm. I was psyched to discover that, what you know, this music. And uh, it was very popular. Well, I don't know if it was very popular. It was, ref- it was a reflection of popular music and an attempt to cash in on it, but I don't know if it succeeded. But I don't, I didn't live in, Eng- I don't live in England, so I don't really know that it didn't impinge on my life, you know what I mean? Whereas bubblegum music was very popular in North America, and it was part of my childhood, so mm-hmm. I do remember that music. But I don't remember like anyone playing like songs about tea kettles and uh, you know possums living in parks and and uh, uh, a guy who's a a guy who's a newspaper seller and things like that. You know, which is big. But Toy Town Psych has a lot of that sort of content in it. I believe they're called newsies. Not not uh, in in uh, New York. No, and they'd be called like Paper Man or something like Ooh, that in the okay. song. Gotcha. Although I think 
No, anyway. So, Mary, this was yes. uh, this, this is side two. Yeah. And it's kind of a short side two because... Side two of, of whose? Oh, this is a side two of Dylan McConnell's... Uh, sorry, Dylan McConnell. Dylan O'Connell's. Sorry, uh-huh. Dylan. Dylan O'Connell's um, mixtape uh, number two. Mm-hmm. So this is side two of 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 disc two okay of his mixtape uh collection i sent him the of first one of course dylan was son of connell dylan son of connell his first his first was of course the canadian uh mix we listened to the all canadian uh from the 90s music <laughs> collection we listened to and, and then this was a more 90s, ecle- eclectic, early 2000s sure and this was a more eclectic mix of 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 stuff and so and i think we kind of agreed last time that it had a bit of a softer edge to it that I wasn't going for a full-on barrage of, of kind of punky sounds, because that was a real big part of the Canadian one that I'd made. So I, I don't think I consciously chose this music in that light, but I think I unconsciously chose music in that light. And so, um, but we just finished Silver Rider. If you remember last last episode's show, we finished with uh, Silver Rider by Lowe, which is kind of, it's like a five, five minute, five minute, 20, 20 second song. It's kind of like a slow burner. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got like a, you know, uh, kind of tells the story of Silver Rider versus the Great Destroyer in the song. Uh, kind of, it's sort of a, a slight theme to the album, not uh, followed through, but kind of a few songs deal with it. And then we end with that song. We end with that slow burn. And uh, what are you doing? Nothing. <laughs> Just fixing the end on this. Oh, okay. We end with this. We end with a slow burn, and we move into. Uh, and I wanted a song that was kind of a bit harder sounding. And yeah. would kind of bring us in on a punky note to the next side. And so I chose this song by the Scenics, uh, a song called Do the Wait, which I like because A, it has a great bass line. B, it's something that I really love, which is a fake dance song. I love when, when musicians... What do you mean by fake dance song? Well, when musicians like have a song... I shouldn't say fake, because you could really do like follow the steps of this song. But I always like a song that has like a, a dance to it. Oh, like um, Peanut Duck. Like Peanut Duck, yeah. Or... Um, the bus stop or the bus stop that's right i like songs that have like like a dance step to them and so this song is called do the wait and the wait is a is a dance so if you listen to the lyrics to this song you will pick up the fact that it is a dance song and so we're going to hear it now and also you'll hear a really great uh bass line so let's hear the scenics do the wait everyone here we go
right foot down You put your left on the side Up, up, shoulder with apart Not too tight, not too wide You let your arms hang loose Down there by your side And you just stand there So uh, that was the Scenics from, and now um, I guess it was on an album. I don't have it on a, on an album. I have it on a on a collection called In the Summer Studio Recordings, nineteen seventy seven to seventy eight, that came out in two thousand nine. I believe it was originally on an album they did called um, Underneath the Door, that came out in nineteen seventy nine. Hmm. But I don't have that album. So this is from this is the way I have it. So I I wrote it down that way. But what do you think of Do the Wait, Mary? It was okay. I didn't love it. Oh, I really like this song a lot. That's okay. You can. Just don't. <laughs> uh, the band was from Toronto, Canada, and uh, hey, shouldn't they have gone on your last mix? No, because they came. They were. They uh, were t- ten years before the other ones. Yeah, or I guess twenty years actually, because they were working in nineteen seventy-seven, and we were more dealing in nineteen ninety-seven. Oh, okay. So yeah, I guess that's true. Around that time period, anyway. And so yeah, they formed in um, Toronto, Canada. They were, uh, I guess, a. a there, if you listen to the song, you'll hear, I think, a kind of connection to Velvet Underground. The mm. singer has a bit of a Lou Reed kind of sound to his voice. And the song kind of follows like a kind of a, a Velvet Underground kind of sound, I think. But also they would have been influenced by punk rock coming out of England and, and you know, what was happening in the United States at that time as well. So the punk scenes from New York City and other places. And just the kind of general feeling at that time, I think there was just sort of a general not just specific to them, but specific to, not specific to them, but kind of a general feeling amongst lots of different scenes and lots of different cities in, in North America and around the world where they're just kind of like, we're tired of what's happening right now. Like we, we're not enjoying, we're not enjoying the glam rock such thing anymore. We aren't, we aren't digging, you know, prog rock anymore. Um, this soft rock thing coming out of California sucks. This is, you know, so, so, so wimpy, this music. We want some like hard, rock and music that's like simple and short and you know and you know that's what kind of started and all these bands that kind of developed out of this they 
they didn't really follow like a kind of a pattern though. There was no like sense of like, we're going to do this. They kind of followed their own sort of sounds that they liked. And so, and also because of the nature of the scenes at that time, which we, we talked about quite a bit when we were doing the Canadian one, which is that these scenes, you know, were disconnected from each other as well. Like, like unless bands came through your city, you wouldn't know about, say, a band in Cleveland that was doing stuff unless you had the money to go and buy like, you know, a record from the record store and you might take a chance. You might be like, oh, who's Per Ubu? I'll buy this record. Or who are the Dictators? Or who are the Sex Pistols? Which me would have heard about the Sex Pistols because there was so much hype about them coming out of England. Like even me as a, as a kid in grade eight, I knew who the Sex Pistols were. Well, they yeah. had sex in the name. I had sex in the name, and it was very shocking. And I read a, I read a expose about them in a in a uh, in the old days when when I was young, Mary. When you got the weekend newspaper, mm-hmm. it came with a color supplement. It came with like Ooh, a color magazine in fancy. it. Yeah, it was very fancy. It was like a a magazine that came with your newspaper, and you would. And so there was an article in there. That's where I first heard about Cerebus, and that's also where I first heard about punk rock. Because, oh, really? Yeah, interesting. Because I read about Cere- Cerebus as a as a. Uh, kind of alternative comic that came out that uh, was done by a Canadian author here in Canada. Oh, Dad, everyone knows about Cerebus. I don't know about That's that. That's not true. Yeah. They have mentioned it a few times on the Flophouse, though. Okay. Probably disparagingly. But... Mm-hmm. Well, varying <laughs> levels. I think Elliot read it. Yeah. Um, Elliot had a story about seeing another cartoonist mm. when he was in university. I guess this cartoonist like, came to his university and did a talk. Okay. And I guess someone asked a question about Dave Sim. Mm. And I guess this cartoonist said... I think the person said, like, oh, do you think Dave Sim is ever going to actually finish Cerebus? Mm. And this other cartoonist was like, I think he is going to finish Cerebus. And I'm pretty sure that when he is, he's just going to walk out in front of a car and <laughs> just end it all. Because I don't think he'll have anything to live for past that. I think that's true, actually. I think Dave Sim has, does suffer from, like, a, a loss of personality, which was subsumed in the whole Cerebus thing. Yeah. And Cerebus should have ended at, at issue 250. Hmm. But he said in an interview, in a newspaper interview, that he was going to do 500 issues. Right. And so I think he kind of had locked himself into this idea that that's what he's going to do. And so even though the remainder of the stories have very little to do with Cerebus, he's just sort of like a, a, a observer of things that are happening around him. Right. Not necessarily a, 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 a participant or even like an active character. Yeah. Um, they, they finished the right, did it right to 500. And then, and then socially, psychologically... He walked out of his house and stepped in front of a car. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and if anyone's interested in that, you you can look it up online. There's lots of lots of information about Dave Sim and Cere- Cerebus and his uh, his uh, misogyny, his misogyny, and the fact that he created his own religion. Yep. And that he personally follows. Not that he's like trying to have followers, but he just created his, his own sort of like little hermit-like religion mm. that he that he follows. It's called the He-Man Woman Haters Club. You might have heard of it. <laughs> well, it is basically it is basically called that. I know. You're right. Yeah, it's very silly. So anyway, so the Scenics came out of the Toronto scene, and uh, kind of the band was centered around uh, Andy Myers, who mm-hmm. was played guitar, bass, and did vocals, and then Ken Badger, who also played guitar and bass and did vocals. So I have a feeling that when they maybe switched up instruments when each when one sang one when 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 one sang a song and the other person would play guitar and you know what I mean kind of right. like what Sloan does yes because they I both because they're both songwriters so they both they sang their own songs and they, cool I like that uh, and so during their career they released one album which I mentioned uh, 1979's underneath the door for a rec- label called Bombshell Records and then they released a single uh, called Karen which was back with See Me Smile which came out in 1981 on their own label Scenic Root Records and. They were basically active from 1977 to 1982, and then they called it quits 
because that was the end of whatever the scene they were part of. And then they reformed in 2008 and even released an album in 2012 and have been touring and stuff since then uh, as, as the Scenics. And I hope people enjoyed that song. I think it's rather good. Um, you know, just as a representation of like what I really, you know, and part of what I like about it so much is the, the idea that it's just like a personal statement from these guys who there's nothing else in it for them, but the fact that they're just loving what they're, they're loving the scene that they're part of and that they're creating. I think that's really great. And so there's going to be another song from another band that was part of a scene okay, cool. that was obscure, that was just part of, you know, and they just love making music and mm-hmm. there's nothing else in, in it for them, but the fact that they were creating music and they love doing that. Um, all right. So let's turn to another band that we've heard quite a bit of during this, during this, uh, mixtape project. Okay. And we're going to hear more from him. I'm not, I will not kid you. Okay. And Mary is not happy to hear that because this band is Stephen Malkmus and the Jicks. This is from what I think is their best album, Real Emotional Trash, that came out in 2008. And this is the band that kind of turned me on to, to Stephen Malkmus and the Jicks, this album. When I heard it, I went, oh, this is really great. And so uh, and here this song is, unlike the a la- uh, couple other songs we've heard by them, which are very guitar rock oriented, this is um, more of a pop song, I think. This is uh, Cold Sun, like I say, from Real Emotional Trash from 2008. So let's give it a hear. At the center where they go on weekdays It takes hours just to slake that thirst Heavy heels and a daunting pulse rate Bad idea for your blister toes To my wheel while you're getting close So say adios The conjecture
chance to vent i just wanted to ask did you know about pavement before you knew about Stephen malcolmus and the chicks yeah i knew who pavement were and i oh, followed okay. pavement for a while but you know i think i kind of got disconnected from music for a while in the, t- the early 2000s maybe because i was a, a dad with mm. kids and mm-hmm. it was harder to follow things or maybe i just or i just missed yeah what he was doing because you yeah know. i mean it's harder to get out to record i mean we were living in langley like an hour away from vancouver yeah. it's hard to get out to vancouver yeah. And you've got little kids, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, oh. Do you have some notes on, on I this? I do. Okay. My phone is at 9%, so Uh-oh. I have it on uh, power-saving mode, so that means that the screen keeps turning off. <laughs> um, Where are we? Oh, okay, there we are. Sorry. Okay, so I do like this song more than other, other Stephen Malcolm songs. Oh, that's good. That's but good. Oh. not a very high bar for me. Okay. So um, <laughs> it's still not great, but oh. I thought it was okay. Okay. I could listen to it. Yeah. The, skipping it yeah you know but realistically when i re-listen to this album yeah. and keep it in my car i probably will skip this song oh really yes huh well, i'm sorry to hear that i think it's really great that's I like... why you put it on here yeah it's true i think this this uh, let me let me, let me uh, put my cards on the table unlike the unlike the uh the canadian mix i made for dylan which was very curated by me i have a feeling this was one of my early ones that i did where i was like what I would do, what I would do is I would like, I would just shuffle through iTunes, and then when I heard a song I like, I would put it onto the mix, and then I would just keep shuffling, and then when I heard another song, I'd be like, oh, this would be good together, and I'd put it on, and I would do that until I had enough songs and I had filled whatever time that I had. Right. And I was like, oh, there we go, that's perfect. I made a, oh darn, I forgot, I had promised last time I was going to do something, and I and I didn't, I forgot to do that. All right, don't worry about it. We'll we'll get it. We'll get to it. Um, and yeah, so I think. You know, like, so, you know, I was obviously going through, like, a Stephen Malcolm's and the Jicks phase at this time. So whenever a song came up, I was like, this song is great. It's going on. Yeah, that and field music. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. You know, unlike some other artists where I might have been like, mm, this song is pretty good, but I don't know if it's good enough for a mix. But at that time, I was, like, you know, totally into these bands. Yes. And uh, I was just like, oh, this would be great. Oh, this is perfect, this song. Field music. Who could, what, could, what could go wrong with such a great song? I would say to myself. Okay, Mary, well... I guess you've made your, your two cents. You know how I feel about Stephen Malcolm's jigs. We've talked about them and a lot. And you know how I feel about them. Yeah. So. So let's let's move on to our next song, everyone. This is uh this is the Pretty Things from uh it was actually not from an album. This is from a, a it was a double A sided single that came out in 1967, or sorry 1968. We're gonna listen to we're gonna listen to side the B side or the the second A side. If however you say is it A and a, and it double A? This is double A side. The the back, the backed with side. This is the with side, not this the B the side. Double I don't know how to say battery. It. 
This is the double A battery side. This is a, a great song called Walking Through My Dreams okay. by The Pretty Things. Let's hear it. From what year? Uh, from 1968. Okay, let's hear it. Here we go. When I'm unhappy and in my eyes, things are bad. I just have to close them all and suddenly I'm glad. song mary i bet you never heard it before i like this song oh good i think i had heard it before. oh you had heard it okay i think so okay i like it yeah it's a good song it's a very good song i think um yeah i really well it kind of fits right into my love of psychedelic music and this song definitely comes from that time period 
you know, with its backwards this and that, and and the way it uh, uses the way it, the song is using the way it uses up like studio effects and stuff like that in the song. Uh, the pretty things. Let's talk about them a little bit, Mary, because we haven't had them on the show yet, and they are a band from England that I think is really great. But they are definitely one of the great woulda, shoulda, coulda bands of the mm. '60s, and that they never made it. Right. They never got big. They're kind of like the Zombies. The Zombies had like a couple of hits. The Zombies actually made it bigger than than the Pretty Things. Yeah, I but, think more people know the Zombies. But when the Zombies did Odyssey and Oracle, they basically did it as like a last roll of the dice. Hmm. Uh, and when it didn't fan out for them in England at any rate, and they basically funded it themselves. And when it didn't fan out in England, they just called it quits on the band. Right. And when then they had a big hit with uh, with um, that song, you know the one. That one that everyone knows. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Time of this time of season? <laughs> I think it was called. Oh, uh, yeah, time of the season. I don't think that's what it's called. But anyway, it's right. you know the one I mean, though. Is it's it... the time of the. No, I'm not saying it right. <laughs> Whoops. Season. Yeah. So, uh, but you know that was like their last, their last kind of. Thing. And when that song was a hit in the United States, they had already broken up and were like one of them was working in a in a insurance office and as an actuary, you know, oh, kind of time of weird... the season. Time of the season, yeah. Yeah, that's what I said. That's what it's called. Yeah, I think I said the same thing, but it didn't sound right. That's weird. Hmm. Um, so yeah, and the pretty things was kind of the same. Like they were centered around two guys. One was the guitarist Dick Taylor, who was an anonymous. Sorry, his name is Dictator. Dick Taylor. Oh, okay. Who not Dictator? Not Dictator. No, okay. that would be weird. Uh, Dick Taylor. That would be a pretty good, like, punk name, though. It would be a good punk name, or really cruel parents. <laughs> yeah. Although, you know, I did have a prof in university named Charles Charles. That's terrible. I know. It seems so unimaginative. And so cruel. Yeah. He went by Chuck, and I was like, I wonder if his parents know that Chuck is the native of Charles. And then it was like, Charles Charles was yeah. his real name. Yeah, I yeah. I was like, oof. <laughs> uh, he was an inaugural member of the Rolling Stones, uh, along with his fellow Sid Cup Art College friend keith richards so i guess he and keith richards he keith richards and mick jagger were in a band together called ready for this name right mm-hmm. little boy blue and his blue boys okay that was the name of their band okay and you know what kind of music they played blues they played the blues that's correct dear yes <laughs> he got I'm sorry, it sorry i should have said what is the blues yeah what is the blues <laughs> <laughs> uh when the three joined up with brian jones and ian stewart it was decided that there were too many guitarists in the band and so taylor switched to playing bass and he played bass for in the rolling stones for about five months and then he was accepted into the central school of art and design and so he quit the group because at that point they were just like you know a bunch of like kids goofing around they weren't really like going anywhere necessarily so he left and started going to art school and then phil may another fellow old sid cuppian mm-hmm. what sid cuppian yeah what does that mean well they were uh both from the sid cup um sid cup art college is that so they're old Sid Cupians? Is that an okay, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> Sid Cup. Sid Cup Art College, yeah. That's his name. No, no, it's an yeah, it's the name of the art college, Sid Cup. Is it an acronym? S I D C U P. Nope, I guess it's the name of the city or whatever. Okay. Sid Cup. And so, like, if you went to Eton, you're an old Etonian. Yes. Okay. They're old Sid Cupians. Okay. All right. See where I'm going? Yes. See what I'm, see what I'm passing out there? Yeah. See what you're. But if down. you went, if you went to Harrow, you're not you're not a Harrowian. You're a Harrovian. Okay. So you know. There are other weird ones too, but I can't remember them now. Uh, oh, like um, if you're from Liverpool, you're a Liverpudlian. Liverpudlian, okay, that's right. Yep. Or if you're from Aldergrove, you're an Aldergrovian. I don't think that's right. That's true. It should be though, because we are a pretty groovy city. I already changed it, so it's true. So Phil May convinced Taylor to form a group with him uh, called 
or with him as vocalist and harmonica player. And so they called themselves the Pretty Things after a song by Bo Diddley. And uh, like the Stones, the Pretty Things were drew from blues and rock, early rock and roll material like Bo Diddley and Chuck Berry and Jimmy Reed and stuff like that. And you can really hear the influence of Diddley on the band's first single, which is called Rosalind, uh, which was later covered by David Bowie on his tribute to covers album Pinups. And on David Bowie's album Hunky Dory, there's a song called Oh You Pretty Things, which is also oh, a reference to the band The Pretty Things because he really liked that band. And the reason he liked them, Mary, is because they're great. All right. I don't care how little known they are nowadays. They're really great. But like the kings D- of the if 60s. David Bowie said so, mm-hmm. then I believe him. Thank you. Don't believe you. Just believe <laughs> David Bowie. It's fine. I'll use anyone's authority I can. <laughs> I'm not that... even that big a David Bowie fan. Really? Yeah. That is a wrong answer, Mary. He's got some good songs. Well, then you're a fan. Okay. Uh, like the kings of the, of the 60s. This is not that babe. Anyway. Yeah, that's fine. Like the kings of the 60s, dear, the pretty things never made it like they never broke they never cracked america mm. you know like that was like your main thing you needed to do right if you're a band if you're a british band you like rode the beatles coattails and cracked america right lots of bands did it mm-hmm. even herman Herbert, even even mary mm. freddie and the dreamers cracked mm. america really but as part of the uh the british invasion part of the british british invasion that's right but and i've you've probably never seen it but if you ever see freddie and the dreamers do their freddie You'll shake your head just like you're shaking right now. I've not seen that. Yeah, but I'm telling you, if you saw it, you'd just be like, well, I guess they really did ride the coattails of the Beatles. <laughs> I guess that British invasion thing what really was an unstoppable force that the British or the American public found irresistible because they even watched Do the Freddy on the Ed Sullivan show. But the pretty things, I guess, I don't know if it was their fault, if it was management's fault, if it was just opportunity that was grabbed at. But instead of going to America on the back of Rosalind, which was a bit of a hit, they toured australia weird and so unlike the kinks who got weird. themselves banned from the united states on what? their first tour i did not know the, that that happened yeah the kinks. yeah they got banned from the yeah. united states by gotten they got in a dispute with a, a guy who was a uh i guess was an official in the musicians union in the united okay. states and as a result they got banned from the united states which was not lifted until 1969 wow and so during like during the height of the kinks career as yeah. like the, one of the great british bands like putting out face to face and in something else by, and of course the great Mary. What's the what's the greatest album? Um, the Kinks are the Village Green Preservation Society. Exactly, such a great album. Arthur, another fantastic album. Um, it wasn't until uh, Lola versus Punny Man, Punny, uh, sorry, Lola versus Power Man, and mm. the Money Machine. Yep. That had the hit song Lola on it that yes. finally broke them in the states again. That they were allowed to tour on the back of that. Wow. But. I can't believe the states never got a the Kinks or the Village Green Preservation Society tour. They didn't. They did not. And I think the album sold like ten thousand copies when it was released. Ten, ten to fifteen thousand copies when it was released in the states. Oh wow! It was so underappreciated. That's it, and it's such a great album. That is devastating. So it is a super fantastic album. It, it has is. very good songs. Yes, it is. Like Village Green. Yep. And Animal Farm. Animal Farm and the Cheshire Cat one. Yes, no. it's yes. the uh, phenomenal cat. The phenomenal cat, not Cheshire Cat. Yeah. <laughs> Wicked Annabella, or is it Wicked Arabella? Anyway, so good. Pictures, people taking pictures of each other. Yep. Arthur, uh, not Arthur, but uh, his the song about his friend. What's that one called? Mm, I don't know. Do, 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 do. Anyway, oh it's yeah, it's very good. It's all good. It's all good. Every song in there is good. There's only one song in there that I'm so so on. Which one? It actually is Animal Farm. No, not Animal Farm. Sorry, uh, Village Green. What? Really? Yeah, I think it's okay. Oh no, no, not that one. Last of the Steam Power Trains. That's yeah. the one. Yeah. Because that's just a ripoff of Smokestack Lightning by by um. Howlin' Wolf. Okay, I, I was like... going to say, Village Green is an amazing song. Yeah, Village Green is good. Um, 
Yeah, I don't remember the name of that. And now it's going to bug me that I don't remember the name of that song. Also, mm-hmm. featured in Hot Fuzz, an amazing movie. <laughs> it's true. They used two songs from that album. Uh, so yeah, so the Pretty Things went on a tour of New Zealand and Australia. And in New Zealand, their behavior was so shocking that they got called out in New Zealand's parliament. And, and there was like a, uh, I guess, a question in parliament whether they should be issuing entry visas to such bands as the Pretty Things. <laughs> But they, didn't, so, wait, but they didn't, did not get banned there, which has been a rumor. Did they, they didn't get banned in Australia? They, they did not get banned in or Australia they did, New Zealand. They, sorry, they didn't get in trouble in Australia, just in New Zealand? This is New Zealand, yeah. Oh, okay, because I was going to say, it's hard, hard to get in trouble in Australia. Is it hard to get in trouble in Australia? Well, I don't know. Well, it's a giant It's a giant desert that people drive around car, in cars in and have yeah. to looking for water. Also, you know, founded by criminals, famously. That's not true. It was used as a place for that people were um, sent to rather than go to prison. Yeah. But, I mean, they were arrested for things like... Like taking, having debt. And taking bread, taking bread, yeah. or hunting on the king's land, yeah. like ridiculous things like that. Like they're yeah. not criminals; they're yeah, just like, like unfortunate oh, people. You, an adult, yeah. have, are de- are in debt, yeah. and you can't pay it, so your six-year-old child is going to jail. Sure. Like, hold on a second. <laughs> There's something wrong with this system. And only a small part of Australia was like a place where criminals I were sent know, to. I know, it's just a joke. Dad. The rest of it's like, uh, yeah, I'm just sick of that joke, though, Mary. I'm time time to defend Australia. This is an Australian person's mixtape we're doing here. And you're bad mouthing Australia. I thought he was Irish. No. His name's O'Connell. Yes, he lives in Australia. Okay. He's an Irish person. That's why he was sent to prison in Australia. Oh, right. in Australia. For being Catholic. <laughs> For being Catholic. <laughs> Capital <laughs> offense at the time in England. <laughs> so, um, so as the 60s moved on and the blues scene kind of like went, went the way of the dodo because, you know, people got tired of that. Um, the pretty things had to change too. And at first they kind of embraced like a soul sound and then they... Then they kind of jumped whole hog into the uh, the pop psychedelia of the mid '60s that had suddenly you know kind of swept the scene. And the band did an album. They did one last album for Fontana, the record label they were attached to, called Emotions, which was a it was a kind of a oh a, Carly Rae Je- Jepsen's album Emotions. No, not Emotions. The oh, okay. Carly Rae Jepsen, the very good Charlie uh, Carly, Carly Rae, Rae Jepsen album. album. Man, I'm having trouble speaking today. It must you know what it is, folks? It's, it's because the darkness. I, not the darkness is that i've been living on three hours sleep for the last two months it's because you're tired because it's so dark so early <laughs> do that it's because the coloring project is and everything else is just piling up on me and i'm really i'm not enjoying it i'm enjoying the coloring i'm just not enjoying the pressure of coloring i'm against pressure i'm all for people not pressuring me but you know the problem with me not being pressured mary then you don't get it done i would never get it done <laughs> never in a million years yes that is so true i understand that i gotta i am I gotta my make, father's daughter after all i have to make false deadlines even for the shows like this. Yes. It's false deadlines. That's how I encourage my kids that I tutor. Yeah. Too. I'm like, okay, I'm setting a timer. 15 minutes. We're going to get this, this worksheet done. <laughs> and they get it done in 13 minutes. And I'm like, you're the best. Yeah. That's I good. only tutor one kid, but he's great. That's good. Yes. So um, so after that album Emotions, which was uh, kind of a real departure from their earlier sound, they were approached by this guy named Norman Smith, who had been an engineer under George Martin of the Beatles. Oh, okay, cool. And I know who George Martin is, Dad. Mm-hmm. Jeez, I'm George Martin wasn't on the Beatles. But I'm saying that he, Norman Smith, engineered the Beatles albums up to um, Rubber Soul. Oh, After okay. Rubber Soul, he he left that and he became a a producer at EMI. I think he may have replaced George Martin, who left EMI or didn't actually leave EMI, but left Parlophone, EMI's subsidiary label, mm-hmm. to start his own production company called AIR, Associated Independent Recorders. I have a question. Mm-hmm. How come every single record company is just a three letters? And that's their name. EMI? All of them. What other ones? Um, that other one that you said? A-R-I? A- AIR was a, no, it was a company formed by George Martin. as a, And it was like a 
kind of like a loose union of producers oh, okay. that work together under the banner AIR, ind- Associated Independent Recorders. Okay. I don't know. I feel like there's been a few. What was the one that put out Elvis? Whoa, oh, RCA. Okay. I'm going to guess it. Um, yeah, RCA. That's <laughs> okay. another one. All right. There's, yeah, more. there's been more. Well, there's Columbia Records, so I guess you could call CBS Records. Okay. Um, what else? I don't know. I mean, it is a it's a good it's a good thing though. ABC Records, ABC Dunhill, that was one. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think I think you're right. I think it's just a good sound because there was also um, SAR, which was uh, which was um, Sam Cooke's record label. Okay. And then I don't know. I don't know what else. I'm sure we'll think of some. You think of them while I'm while I'm doing while I'm talking. Right. I'm not really the uh, record company person in this podcast, but. <laughs> Did you know that, Dad? Yeah. That most people don't pay a lot of attention to record companies? Really? Yeah. That's silly. It's not a thing people... Most people... If I said, what's your favorite song? Yeah. And they would say, whatever. Or who's your favorite artist? Yeah. Right? And I would say, okay, well, what label are they with? Yeah. Most people would not be able to answer me. Oh, that's sad. Because what that means to me is that they did not spend their teenage years laying on a couch in their parents' house, listening to records on the record player while staring at the record label... Like staring at the, the record cover mm-hmm. and that liner, and hopefully it had like the lyric sheet inside. Mm-hmm. And then you would be reading that, and you'd like be, oh, and they were on Rough Trade Records, and this album was recorded in Manchester mm-hmm. at such and such studios. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe they did, but that stuff's maybe they did. Yeah. Lie there looking at that, but that stuff's just not as important to them. I don't know. I think it's pretty important because if you knew that it was on Rough Trade Records, then mm-hmm. you'd be like, okay, I have to keep Rough Trade Records in mind because mm-hmm. if I see another record by this record label, then it's probably going to be good because the, the Smiths are good. Right. And then you go down that little rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. That's how you discover new things, Mary. Mm-hmm. Either you read interviews with musicians or, mm-hmm. or writers mm-hmm. and they recommend things to you. Yes. Or you follow like a little rabbit hole of right. things that interest you because... Where you're like, ooh... Um, Robin Hobb is published by Bantam Books. What else is published by Bantam Books? That's exactly Books? right. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, George R. R. Martin. <laughs> there you go. He's not very good. He's not? No, he's fine. I thought you liked him. I do. You no, read like, you read like I read 13 enormous house-sized books by that they guy. They were not 13. There was like four. Mm-hmm. 13. And then also of his short stories. Okay. All right, let's get back to Norman Smith. Okay. Our friend Norman Smith, who later on everyone, under the name Lightning Smith, I think it was Lightning Smith, or maybe it was Thunderclaps. No, I think it was Lightning Smith. I think you're thinking of Lightning McQueen. I had a, had a hit song. It was really nice. And John Lennon mm-hmm. wrote him a, a, sent him a telegram congratulating him. A telegram, the huh? only only Beatle that did so. The only Beatle that ever sent a telegram? No, that sent a telegram that oh, congratulated Norman Smith that's on... That's very nice of him. Yeah, it was nice of him. For all the for all the uh, guff that John Lennon gets as being kind of a grumpy guy and mm-hmm. being short-tempered and stuff, which, mm-hmm. um, you know, he was. He was yeah. very... He was also had a he had a kind heart, and he was well brought up by his aunt Mimi, so he would know how to do things like that. Right, you know, send out thank you cards. Yeah, etc. Etc. The things. lost art of thank you cards. Those, well, this little those little things that people yeah those little thoughtful things that are part of being polite that we kind of lose when we we aren't polite. So so uh, Norman Smith heard this album, and so he approached he approached um the Pretty Things and said, hey, I really like what you guys are doing. I'd love to produce you, and so they signed. They did, like, like I say, they did the last album with Fontana Records, so they signed a contract with EMI's Columbia label, and they um, started working together with Norman Smith in the studio. And they, and one of the first songs they did was a song called "Defecting Gray," which was like this long, uh, kind of studio jam with a, within a song. It had a song structure, but they kind of stretched it out a bit and had this long song. And then that was edited down and released as a single, which didn't do very well. And then they. Uh, did a, the single talking about the good times backed with the song we just heard, "Walking Through My Dreams," mm-hmm. 
and both of those songs are really good. But uh, those songs didn't do very well either. But luckily, this was the 60s, because in the good old 60s, that didn't stop a record label for then throwing a little money at the wall to see what stuck. And so uh, they started working this in, in the studio on, an, on what I think is their best album, which is a great album, one of the best albums of the 60s called SF Soro. And in the white heat of the pip, 60s pop scene mare, bands pushed the boundaries. So it wasn't just the Beatles that were pushing boundaries, but all the bands were trying to like one-up each other or try to find some sort of concept that separated them from all the other bands. So you had a band like The Who, who were a very conceptual band, I think. So they, you know, they did like their album, The Who Sellout, which was an album with Who songs, but made to sound like it was being played on a pirate radio station of the 60s. So it had little jingles. They were made by the band to, to sound like what you would hear on, say, Radio Caroline cool. of that time period. You know, or you had the Kinks who were doing, uh, would do albums that would have like, a, feel, a sort of feel to them that would go through all the songs or do the Village Green Preservation Society, which is not a concept album, but has a, has songs that have a similar sort of theme throughout the record. And then um, the pretty thing is SF Soromare was the first concept album. It tells a story, a mostly coherent story, told through all the album's songs. And it beat The Who's Tommy, which was released in May 1969 by five months. So SF Soro came out in December of 68, and Tommy came out in May 1969. But unfortunately, unfortunately for the things, they didn't have a canny guy, a canny manager like Kit Lambert, who could coin a phrase like rock opera. Because that is such a great phrase. And it's so evocative of something. And that really caught the public's imagination. And so when the Who's Tommy came out, and the other thing is Kit Lambert got the band to to kind of like create, well, got Pete Townsend, let's face it, got Pete Townsend to create like a musical like like a kind of like an opera motif it has like an overture that collects like a bunch of different themes from the album into one song that starts the album and then it has like a another instrumental um long instrumental track partway through the album as well and so it kind of follows like an opera's arc you know which sf soro doesn't so much sf soro tells you a, a de- depressing story about sf soro mm-hmm. and then it ends whereas the who's tommy which to me is really incoherent as an album you try and follow the story of the album, it's hard to figure out what is the story about? What you're doing is you're like reading back to it from having seen Tommy the movie to Tommy the album. Right. Because the movie has to like make sense of where the album doesn't make sense. Okay, yeah. The album, the songs are like a series of like vignettes of scenes, but it doesn't really like tend to come together as a whole, like as a whole story. Mm -hmm. It's still really great, but... It's like trying to listen to like the soundtrack for a, a film and yeah. try to like figure out what the movie's about just based on the soundtrack yeah like yeah. you're like listening to the soundtrack for frozen and you're like okay so like they're in love there yeah and then like they aren't getting together at this point and you're like i don't like is it the same people like i don't know what's going on here but then when you watch the movie it makes sense yeah and then you're like oh okay yeah well the thing about tommy though is that it was spo- it, you know like pete townsend envisioned a a, a storyline to it mm. it's just that the songs didn't really it was, but it wasn't like a coherent story. I don't know if he just didn't... You know, stories are hard. Let's put it that way. Yeah. He's used to writing songs. And then someone says, well, I want you to sit down and like map out a story. And he's just like, okay, I'll do that. And he starts writing and he's like, oh, it's so boring. Can I just play my guitar? <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, what's interesting is like when the so, uh, when the Pretty Things were working on SF Sorrow in the, in, the, uh, in the studio, Pink Floyd were making A Saucer Full of Secrets at Abbey Road at the same time, and the Beatles were working on the White Album. Okay. So it must have just felt like this crazy creative place you're working with all this stuff, this cool stuff happening. But unfortunately for uh, the band, the record was not a success. 
That's a bummer. And not not super well promoted. And the band itself, it seemed to lack an identity in the public's imagination. And so, and then continuing the band's run of bad timing, they were signed by Motown in March of 1969 for American distribution. But SF Soro didn't see release until a year later. Hmm. And then it just looked like a copycat version of The Who. Oh, and so right. instead of being, instead of the reality, which is they were ahead of Tommy, yeah. in America's eyes, in American music industry's eyes, they were, they were a copycat band who were just doing what The Who had done. Mm. And that didn't help them either. And then in a further case of bad timing, during the recording of the album, long-time tr- drummer Skip Allen fell in love with a French girl during the Soro sessions, and he left the band to go live with her. And so the band were desperate for a drummer, a replacement drummer. So they turned to this guy named John Alder, who performed under the name Twink. And he had drummed in the uh, great 60s band Tomorrow, which also featured um, Steve Howe from Yes. So Alder agreed to play with the band, but he demanded full credit uh, for songwriting on the album, even though he was not involved in writing any of the songs. Hmm. And so, but the band were so desperate for a drummer that they agreed to that so he is his name is on all the songs on on sf soro even though he was not there for any of the writing or any of the composing of the songs something that still rankles phil may to this day yeah because the reason i know about that is i was reading a some liner notes by phil may and he mentioned that in the one t- one time this while ago and, and i was just like ah oh, this obviously bothers him because he's, he's yeah, bringing, still it bringing it up <laughs> so uh the commercial failure of sf soro was too much for the guitarist dick taylor and he quit the band in 1969 and uh the band did carry on, but I uh, don't. They weren't quite the same after that. They and they also changed their sound. They uh, their next album, Parachutes, is more like a hard rock album than a than a than a pop pop you know psych pop album, which is where I'm more interested. But uh, but one thing in the '60s, they did two projects that I find really interesting. One is because they were so broke because they just, they weren't selling records. They recorded mu- songs for the music library company DeWolf. Uh, songs later used in low budget films like What's Good for the Goose. In fact, they have a song called What's Good for the Goose. And another song called The Haunted House of Horror. Or another movie called The Haunted House of Horror. And a couple of and a couple of softcore porn films as well used hmm. used the uh, music. So what they would do is they would just go into the studio. and They would compose songs, go into the studio, and just play these songs. And they would just be like in a variety of styles. Maybe like one that's kind of country-ish. And one that's kind of a rock song. And a pop song and stuff like that. And then these songs were in the library of DeWolf. Right. And so if a movie, like a low-budget movie, they didn't have money to hire some people to produce produce and record songs for the film Mm -hmm. they could just go to dewolf and use their music library and pull some songs out for their movie yeah and so on so the band would do a vocal version of the songs and then an instrumental version version of the songs and so they could have like this as as a motif in the movie and have the full song for like maybe the credits or have it it's part of the film and then use it in other parts of the movie Mm. as a motif and don't mock dewolf people because Music libraries were used a lot. In fact, DeWolf's music library was used by Monty Python for the Holy Grail when they discovered that the soundtrack that had been especially commissioned from Neil Innes for the movie flopped terribly in previews. Oh, really? Because the music was too was too jokey, I guess. Oh, okay. And too kind of eccentric. And, and what the movie needed was a serious backing right. to what was silliness on the screen. Yeah. And so they turned to DeWolf and then they got this music, you know, that kind of do, 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 this music that's kind of played right. throughout the film. It's very serious and, and, you know, kind of works better than, although I, I've never heard the Neil Innes one. I'd love to hear that. I don't know if it was ever released. And then the other thing that they did was they did a boutique album for this French millionaire named Philippe Debarge hmm. that was intended for private circulation for him and his friends. So it was never to be released or heard by the public. So they just did this album for this guy 
just so he would have his own little album. Kind of like what um, what the Wu-Tang Clan did for that really rich guy, that pharmacy guy who ended up going to prison, I think. Oh, the guy who... Um, Crack, jacked up the price of uh, the, the medicine. The, the AIDS medicine. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Oh, right. okay. I didn't know that that was a thing. Yeah, yeah. Oof. Yeah, they, they put an album, they made an album and they just, you know, the highest bidder could get it. And he and he was the highest bidder. So he bought this Wu-Tang Clan mm-hmm. album that he owns and no one else can hear. That's... I think it's kind of a bit of a dick move myself. Yeah. But, okay. but luckily... They didn't uh, They didn't sell it to him and then immediately, sh- and then just send it through a shredder. Mm. Just send it under a big magnet. Yeah. Banksy. Yeah. So... Uh, so yeah, they did like four albums worth of songs for for um DeWolf, mm-hmm. and then they did this album for this Philippe DeBarge guy. And these aren't these aren't songs that were released by them, right? Like these were just songs that were purely for DeWolf and stuff. Although I was looking looking at the the I have a couple of the the albums which were released under named the Electric Banana. That's the name they performed under when they did these songs for DeWolf. They didn't call themselves the Pretty Things; they called themselves the Electric Banana. Mm. A reference to the um uh, Donovan song Mellow Yellow electrical banana anyway so uh the um and then so there are some i noticed there was some crossover from the philippe debarge album and their dewolf music stuff so they probably you know like that's a lot of songs to compose in a couple years so they probably like well let's just borrow a few songs from our uh from our philippe debarge album and what's interesting is an acetate for this album was found by this this guy who was a, a magazine editor had a 60s centered magazine called ugly things and he found this acetate he was a record collector obviously and he found this acetate for this this album by the pretty things and uh, so he had it remixed and mastered and then he had then he commissioned the band to, uh this the reformed band the pretty things to record a new song for it called monjure rock ballad of Phil- philippe so i think uh so it's kind of fun hmm. but um before we go into the next song i thought it'd be fun for people to hear a song by the pretty things from the philippe De, it's both on the philippe debarge album and on one of the collect one of the collections i have of the electric banana and it's called eagle sun and i thought you just might like like to hear it i think it's a really good song and it's probably maybe people haven't heard the music from these two projects so i thought it'd be kind of fun even if even if you're a pretty things fan you might not have heard these songs so i just thought it'd be kind of fun to hear it play them so we're gonna play that song and then we'll move on to our, our next song in the mix so so everyone just enjoy this song from uh, the pretty thing slash the electric banana eagle sun all right let's hear it <laughs> Burn beneath the sky 
I just wonder if you're like playing with a cat and someone no, else's cat and it no, scratched you. It just showed up. Hope your host isn't haunted. That's probably it. <laughs> it's such a new house. All right, we're back. Mare. Yes. The next song. I. Anyway, sorry. Sorry again. All right, Mare. So that was Eagle Sun by by uh, the, the Electric Banana. But let's move on to Banana. Banana. Let's move on to what's wrong with the way I say banana? Mm, Don't like it. Nothing. It's just a little hmm? harsh. Banana. Banana. <laughs> All right. What's the next song, Father? This song is uh, this song is called Tomorrow, and it's by the Three O'clock from their album Sixteen Tamarine. So let's give it a listen, everyone. Here we go.
think of tomorrow by the three o'clock i thought this one was kind of meh oh is that right well yeah i just found it a little bit too sugary okay it's okay. a little sweet that's why know? i liked it so much yeah i like my i like my psychedelic music sweet this is is this the uh, toy town psych you were talking this about is earlier? not well this is kind of, i think influenced by that kind of music but this is not toy town psych because this song is from 1983 oh okay so uh, the three o'clock were they formed in la in 1981 and first as the Salvation Army. Okay. And they uh, performed for about a year under that title or under that name, but mm-hmm. legal problems with the actual Salvation Army right. uh, forced the band to change its name. So in 19, 1982, they became Three O'Clock, which the reason they chose that name because that was the time they rehearsed every day. Oh, okay. So they called themselves the Three O'Clock. And they were part of a scene in LA that, that actually the Three O'Clock, one of the Three O'Clock's songwriters, this guy named Michael Quercio, uh, he... He coined this name, the Paisley Underground, for a particular kind of subset scene in L.A. I like that name. Yeah, that was made up of uh, some different bands, the Dream Syndicate, Green on Red, the Long Riders, and the Bangles. So all those kind of bands drew from 60s influences, and so he kind of gave them the name uh, the uh, Paisley Underground, which I think is a kind of, yeah, it's a cool name. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really good album. Their first album was actually an EP, which was called Baroque Hoedown. And it and 16 Tambourines were produced by a fellow named Earl Mankey. So he started his career as a guitar uh, guitar player for the proto-sparks band Half Nelson. And then he became, I think he became an, o- an associate engineer of Kurt Betcher. And I don't know that for a fact, but I just kind of suspect it because he engineered both Blue Moves by Elton John and the MIU album by the Beach Boys, which were both produced by Kurt Betcher. Oh, okay. But saying that, he also produced... The Beach Boys Love You, which was not produced by Kurt Betcher, I don't believe. Or Kurt Betcher may have had some late involvement with it. I'm not absolutely certain. But yeah, and so, um, and then Mankey became kind of like the go-to producer in L.A. for, because he has a, he has a, a little studio in Sherman Oaks in California, in California oh, okay. called um, Earl Mankey's Guitar Shop or something like that. Cool. And so, yeah, and so it's just like a small studio and like, so bands and on the rise or, you know, like independent groups can go there and record and he'll 
produce and, and engineer them. And so he's, yeah, had a big, had his name on a lot of LA albums, especially during that time period. Like, so, you know, Green on Red, Leaving Trains, a lot of different groups from that time mm-hmm. were, um, were produced by Earl Mankey. But yeah, I'm sad that you don't like that song. I really like the, uh, I really like the kind of poppy element of it. I bought it. I, I had, you know, this was from a time period when if you wanted a record, an obscure record like this record, which was on Frontier Records in the States, but I didn't, don't think I bought it on Frontier Records. I think I got it on New Rose, which was a French label, mm-hmm. a, a label from France that that put out some American records. And so I bought this record on New Rose record, the New, New Rose record label from Odyssey Imports here in Vancouver, uh, which was a import record store where records were double the cost <laughs> of what you would pay if you bought a domestic one at one of the other local record stores like AMB Sound or, or Kelly's. So, yeah, I paid $16.99 for this record. Sorry, 16 or yeah. 60 16 dollars oh, okay. yeah, Wow. And, uh, it was worth every penny, I think. And I love this song. And I love all the other songs in this album, actually. I think there's maybe one song I think is so-so, but all the rest are really good. So if you like this song, everyone, look out, look out, search out the three o'clock, because I think they're really uh, great. All right, Mare, let's go from that. Yes. To another song. Okay. Called Banana. I don't think it's called Banana. 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 <laughs> the song is Stereo Lab, and it's... Like it's... when people say garage, Gar- garage. Oh, garage, yes, because they're British. Or Canadian, I guess. Canadian, British, British Canadian. Like British. when they are they when they say schedule instead of schedule. No. When they say Harris, vase when they instead say, of vase. Well, vase is, is Canadian. Vase is American. Yeah, but I feel like in your vase, Mary. No, I'm I'm just saying that when people say banana and garage, yeah, and vase, yeah, they're all uh, more harsh. Oh, I see. Than they could be. I see. Well, garage you know? is a British pronunciation. Pronunciation. Okay. And vase is an American pronunciation. Yes. And Banana is a David pronunciation. Yes. So Stereo Lab, Mary. Stereo Lab? Is, is a little band from England. Okay, should we. Uh, people who look like geometry teachers. First? What's that? No, I'm just talking a little bit, just okay. introducing it. Okay. It's a little band from England with people who, people who look like geometry teachers. Okay. And this song is called Strobo Acceleration from their great, 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 great grandpa. Oh, sorry, album. Mm. Cobra and Group. Oh, sorry, I was getting mixed up. Cobra and Phases Group. group. Play Voltage, Voltage in, in the, the Milky, Milky Night, Night from 1999. 1999. <laughs> but let's listen to the song because it's very good. It is very good. Let's hear it. Here we go, everyone.
Hi, Mare. Hey, Dad. So, Mary. Yes. What did you think of Strobo Acceleration by Serial Lab? Love this song. <laughs> yeah. However, yeah? didn't you say they were an English band? I said they're English, yeah. Because I don't think they're singing in English. Okay, in this that's song. true. This is Dad. The, the band. I'm pretty sure they're singing in like German or something. They're it's sing- French. They're singing. <laughs> they're singing in French. You're right. And I, uh, yes, I, maybe I should um, say that they are a a, a Franglais band. A British French band. They're they're mo- mostly British, except for the singer of the band, Laetitia Sadier, who is uh, French and was was at one point married to Tim Gain, the uh, guitarist songwriter in the band and yeah and I, I love when they add a little bit of french pop to their sound and that's basically what they're doing and i thought it would be i thought you know it's good we had a little bit of brazilian or a little i shouldn't say brazilian a little bit of portuguese on mm-hmm. the album with otoke and yes. so let's go with a little bit of uh, french with stereo lab yeah. strobo acceleration good which i think is a great song what's next you know do i italian spanish getting in all the <laughs> romance languages getting in all the romance languages latin a latin song so there's not much we can say about Stereo Lab Mary because we've no. played them before. Yeah. We've played songs from this album before. Yes. We know it was produced by John McIntyre. Mm-hmm. We know it was co-produced by... Okay, we, we've talked about it before. We don't need to keep talking about it. I have more to say about it. By Jim O'Rourke. No, you don't because you've said it all before. <laughs> it's a great album. Yes, we know. We Th- love it. We love Stereo Lab. We've heard many of their songs already. Did I mention though, Mary? That, that I... you like them? Yeah. Yes, no, no. You did. Did, you, did I mention that I didn't know what Cobra and Phases Group meant? Yes. Did I mention that? Yes. Until I was researching yep. Tintin? Yep. Okay. And they were a scene yep. that, that was in a... Yeah, you said that. Belgium? It's not new. Okay. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, Mary, if I was... Okay, if you remember last last episode, last bye week I said I was going to insert a song into this mix to make up for the fact that I it was kind of short, t- short, short in time. Right. That so I felt like I'd ripped... I felt like I'd ripped Dylan off by not putting this... Uh, song in there but you know what i forgot about it <laughs> so i didn't do that i didn't uh, think about it i mean i thought about it but i didn't like remember to, to do it so the song th- song i was thinking about was ordinary joe by terry kellier and i thought it would fit very well here it's not on the original mixtape as i said but we're gonna pretend that it is we're gonna insert it here but unfortunately because i didn't remember it i didn't do much research about terry kellier or any research or any research or even remember who he is or what his name is Terry or Kellier. even what the song is called. I don't remember any it's of that ordinary now. Ordinary Joe. Thank you for reminding me. So, um, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, just listen to that song, uh-huh. and then we're going to move on from there, Mary. We're okay. going to move on with our lives. We're going to overlook the fact that me, I'm a busy guy, Mary. I don't know if you knew that. I don't. Mm, I don't think that's true. Okay, I'm not a busy guy. I'm not a busy guy, and yet I still forgot. So, uh, let's listen to "Ordinary Joe" by Terry Callier, and then we'll come back. So let's from his album "Occasional Rain." Right? Oh, okay, that's right. Yeah, right from 1972. Are you looking up on your player because you have this song in your collection? Oh no, I looked up on um. Oh, Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Thank you for that. "Occasional Rain." So that's this uh, from what 1972? Yep. Thank I just you. remember that it was from "Occasional Rain." Yeah. So I it there's not much information about him on Wikipedia. So okay, so let's listen to this song. Everyone, it's really good. Here we go. Trying to indicate my state of mind I turn you on I tell you that I'm laughing Just to keep from crying Pretty music 
Mary, so that was Terry Kellyer and his song "Ordinary Joe" from yes. "Occasional Rain" from yes. 1972, as yep. we learned from your phone. Uh, what did you think of that song? Uh, it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yep. You know, I think it's great. I know. That's but, why you put it on here. But you, well, that's why you're adding it. Yeah, no. I'm adding it now. It's an afterthought. So 
You don't think it's... Uh, I think it's great. It's good. I think... No, no, it's great. And okay. we're going to let the listeners decide. They're going to we're gonna vote. Okay. Between good and great. Between good and great. That's right. <laughs> it's very careful. We'll just have a... Put up a little poll. We'll put a little poll. Do like you think the song is A, good, B, great? Yeah. Or rate it. Rate it. On a scale yeah. of... 8 to 10. 8 to 10. A scale of 1 to 10, but you only have the options of voting 8, 9, or 10. There's no options for up to, for after, after, there's no 1 to 7, right? No. But like, eight th- the implication is it's a scale of 1 to 10? No, no. The implication is a scale from 8 to 10. Good to great. But if it's a scale of 8 to 10, then yeah. 1 would be, or then 8 would be bad. Oh, you're right. Right? So that's why oh, okay. there has to be an implication that it's 1 oh, to 10. okay. I'm sorry. You're right. But you're you can right. only vote 8, 9, or 10. You're right. Thank but you can only vote 8, 9, or 10. That's right. Thank you for that. So you're welcome. In fact, all of, all, my, all the songs on these CDs we've been listening to for the last last year and a bit yes. all fall under that. Yep. They're all 8 to 10. Yep. They're all good or great. Yes. Well, you think that. No, no, no. This is like statistically true. Okay. Factually obvious. I don't think. Provable in a court of law. Right. Provable, Mary. True. In a court of law. Pretty sure music is subjective, but okay. Mm-hmm. No. You're saying it's objective? I'm, I'm, are you objecting to what I'm saying? Yes. Then it's objective. Anyway, anyway. Well, yes, he got me there. Yep. Sort of. Not really. Using <laughs> different Wait, I concepts think I, of I, no, no. I think if, once again, everyone, object everyone will vote. Object. We'll vote on the website. You can either agree with me or agree with me. Mm. We'll have a simple poll. Yes. Do you agree with Dave? B, yes. B, yes. Right. It'll say A, good. B, great. <laughs> C, do you agree with yes. Dave? <laughs> Good, great, yes. It's like that. Um, there's like a very iconic scene from Gravity Falls, yeah. where Mabel throws a note at a boy yeah. in the mystery shack, who's like in the um the uh, gift shop. Okay. And it says, "Do you like me?" And it's like A, yes. B, definitely. C, absolutely. <laughs> nice. And then it like, and he's like reading it, and he's like, "Do you like me?" Yes. And then he like unfolds it. Definitely unfolds it again. Absolutely. Then it cuts back to Mabel and she goes, I rigged it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's another ad for Disney Plus, everyone. Disney well, Plus. Well, that was really just an ad for Gravity Falls. Coming soon to your streaming service. It's there now. Selection. It's there now. Coming soon. Any day now. Also, you can watch Maybe the shorts on YouTube for Gravity Falls. Oh, the shorts. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on, Mayor, from Stereo Lab. A band that we both like a lot. I think we're actually moving on from Terry Callier. Let's move on from Terry Callier. A song that you like a lot. You thought it was very great, you said to me. I said it was very good. Fantastic. But it, well, I said it was kind of good. What did the, I say? You said it was... Pretty good. <laughs> well, you're Canadian. Yes. Pretty good means great. I don't think that's true. It's true. Mm. I remember one time, um, your Uncle Ian, I made him laugh so hard. And when he finished laughing, he went, pretty good. <laughs> and I was like, oh, so Canadian. <laughs> true so canadian true all right everyone so let's move on to we're very moderate people a texas band oh rather than a canadian band not very moderate people the texans texans aren't modern i think they're very modern no i said moderate oh not moderate people yes no everything's big there exactly it's It's a big place whereas in canada everything is very moderate yeah it's always pretty good it's like the story of the the uh, farmer from alberta who was talking to the farmer from texas and the farmer from texas was visiting his farm Mm -hmm. and he's like and the farmer's looking at this farm and he says you know, in Texas, it takes me all day to drive my pickup truck from one side of my farm to the other. And the Alberta farmer says, yeah, I used to have a truck like that, too. Anyway, <laughs> so let's listen to White Denim, everyone. This song is uh, called Best Street. It's from their fourth album, uh, which is called D, because D is the fourth letter of the alphabet. Get it, Mary, from 2011. And Mare. Yes. Um, I think I was going through a little bit of a, a white denim phase when I, this, when I was doing this album as well. Okay. Because I had recently purchased this, this CD on a... 
on a hunch. Okay. And I loved it. Right. I loved it, loved it, loved it so much. I can't Good. explain how much I loved it. Okay. And the so re- what you're saying is consensus is still out on what you think about the song. It's <laughs> very far as I'm concerned. And so, because, you know, uh, in the old good old days when there, when there were record stores in Vancouver, one of the best record stores was a record store called Zulu Records. And they were really great because they sold, like, a lot of alternative record, a lot of right. independent albums and stuff like that. But they also had, like, used albums as well. So you could find a really great selection of used albums mm-hmm. there. And new. And it was just great. Yes. And so I used to go there all the time and buy new CDs. That's where I bought my first Sufjan Stephen CDs. I bought Seven Swans in Illinois there, cool. for instance. But one time I went there, and they weren't selling any more new CDs. Mm. That's also where I bought. Um, I bought a lot of records there. Why am I even pretending that I'm going to pretend name all the records I bought there? It's ridiculous. Yeah, don't don't do that. We've, we've been there a lot. So yes, on that street. Yeah. Also, when I was growing up, yeah, within walking distance, mm-hmm. there was um, Zulu Records, mm-hmm. a comic book shop. Yes, and. Um, an import candy store. That's true. It was true. a pretty fun street to go to as a kid. It was a great street to go to. And you missed the days when there was Videomatica there as well, which was a store that rented. It was a huge store that had video rentals. Oh, cool. Which I didn't do very much, of course, because I lived an hour outside of the town. That's the thing, right? So it was hard. We had re- video rental stores in Aldergrove. Yeah. So we didn't need to drive an hour <laughs> yeah. to rent videos, right? But I did rent a bootleg version of Hard Boiled, John Woo's film Hard Boiled from oh, there. okay. And uh, that was great. It was like, it was a bootleg. Someone had filmed like it on a television. Yeah. They had filmed it off the television. Oof. And then, but I still, it was just my only way I could see that movie at yeah. that time. So later on, I, got, I have, now I have the laser disc. Yeah, oh, of course you do. But those days. I was telling someone at work. Yeah. That you had the laser discs of the Evil Dead movies. Oh yeah. And he was very impressed. Oh really? Yes. He should be. <laughs> and my Evil Dead uh, 2 uh, one is uh, the Japanese version. Oh, is it? So it's it's actually a really good version. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And also my version of um my version of Army Darkness is Japanese as well because it has and it has an extra the ending that uh, the alternate ending as oh. well, it's good. Hmm. which is a very good ending. But I I like the other I like the one they put on is better. Right. But it's still a really good ending. Yeah. I'm sad they couldn't use both of them somehow. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> it's like he wakes up. Yeah. And then after the one ending, then the second ending happens. Yeah. Slame. So I was there, and so this was a this was a few. You years were there a- in the Army of Darkness world. Yeah, and so this was no, a few years later. Records. No, I was at Zula Records, and this was a few years after they had stopped selling new stuff, and and I was there, and I was looking through their used used bin, and I saw this White Denim album there. But what struck me was that it was still in its ra- plastic wrapper, and still had like the little description that they used to write on all those CDs there. So they would have little like. Um, comments and stuff from the people who worked in the store explaining what it was and just to help sell it right and so it had all this information on i was just like well this poor cd Mm. it's sitting here it's never been bought Mm. even you know even as a used cd yeah still sitting in this bin you know what would be even sadder though is if someone bought it and then didn't even open it and then returned it that would be bad too yeah and so i bought it right and i and i brought it home and i I unwrapped it and i listened to it and it was great Mm -hmm. it was great mary because yes i do feel sorry for cds yeah well, what if they're alive, like the Brave Little Toaster? You <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. All that they want is to fulfill their purpose. Exactly. Of being listened to. Exactly. So it has been listened to. And enjoyed thoroughly. And enjoyed thoroughly. And listened to many times. So, and should yep. we maybe listen to the song now? We should. This is Best Street, everyone, from uh, 2011. White Denim, one of the great bands, who I couldn't see because we were having a dinner party that night. And they the only time they've ever come to town when Which I was away. Which dinner party? Um, was okay. it the lamb one? Might have been our anniversary dinner, your mom and I. Oh, well, we had friends over for Chinese food and pretty big dinner. Yeah, it was really important. Like I don't, I just 
I, I'm sad that I didn't see them, but I don't regret having dinner with friends. Right. All right. Let's listen to the song. Okay, Quit putting it off, Mary. Well, I'm not. You're such, a, okay. you're such a procrastinator. That's, well, that is true, but <laughs> on this instance particularly. All right. Let's listen to it. Mary, do you have some thoughts about white denim? I do actually like this one. Yeah. 
despite the noisiness of it. You think it's too noisy? It's kind of noisy. I love that part of it. I just love how I know you do, but I often do not like yeah. that part. So yeah. I liked it. I mm-hmm. thought it was good. Mm-hmm. It was fun. Yeah, they're a very good band. We've talked about them before, and so I won't go too much in, into them. But uh, like I say, they're from Texas, and uh, they started off as a three-piece, and then they added a new guitar. They added a fourth guitar player for this album, and he kind of really opened the sound up, and there's like more sort of acoustic guitar backing the songs, so it has this kind of nice shimmery feeling to a lot of the songs, which I always like that sound. I love acoustic guitar kind of in a in a band mix. And then, um, yeah, and then we were mentioning last time we were talking about them that the that guitarist who joined the band and the drummer left to work with uh, Leon Carr? Bridges. Leon Bridges, yeah. Yeah, they became a producer. They produced a demo for him, and then when he took off, they he wanted them to play in his band, and so that's what they did. So cool. they left White Denim, unfortunately. Not that White Denim has fallen, and, and their last album was fantastic. So No, and Leon Bridges is doing very good work as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not like that that person yeah. moved from being in White Denim to like not being in music yeah, or moved yeah. like, down musically or whatever. Like sure. You're still performing and playing very good music. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so we so like I said, we know a lot about White Denim. We won't, we won't dwell on this. So let's move on to our next song, everyone. Which is uh, an album which is dear, dear to my heart. I have this is in my top ten records, even though it's just on cassette. And this is uh, No Fun from their album Snivel from 1984. The song is uh, These Women Are My Enemy. Let's okay. give it a listen. Let's hear it. So those women are his enemies. 
Mm-hmm. Mary, what do you think of uh, No Fun? Um, I... You found this song controversial? Well, I don't know. I didn't listen to the lyrics that much. I usually don't listen to the lyrics of a song the first time I listen to oh, it. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and I think this was one that the title of it wasn't listed on my, oh, on okay. my car. Okay. Right? Just because sometimes it gets kind of mixed up when it gets um, printed or whatever onto the CD. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes it comes up with the title sometimes it doesn't sometimes the title is on the wrong song mm. you know so sometimes it'll be on like the song before yeah and i'll say like oh that's the title okay and then i'll listen to the next song and then it'll have like a lot of lyrics referencing the title of what i thought was the last song yeah so yeah i'm like yeah. Mm, probably the title of this song <laughs> um i thought this one was a little whiny okay a little nasally that's uncle which, david yeah it is i know <laughs> i know just sometimes that's why the, that's why the lead off track on uh uh the night, uh, the night smells like a dog is uh, no wine before it's time. <laughs> Spelled W H I N E. Yeah, yeah. Some sometimes I have a bit more patience for it. Sometimes it works better in mm-hmm. more song in some songs. Yeah. Um. What was that swimming pool? Yeah. Was it the other one that we I like. Yeah. I felt like it worked in that one more. I didn't feel like it worked in this one as much. Okay. So. Well, I will not uh, belabor a point. I mean, I like you say, music is sub- subjective. Yeah. But and you this, love No Fun. I do love No Fun. This was uh, a song. This was an album that played a lot on college radio and was the reason that my friend and I decided to become seek, BFFs. seek them out and and oh. interview No Fun I for think, our fanzine. Right. Was it, yes. And that's how I met met David. And became BFFs. And yeah, we came, became good friends. Yeah. He true. was the best man at your wedding. He was. Yeah. It's always good to have an entertainer be a best man at your wedding. That's true. Yeah. He didn't play a song though, which I'm a little mad about. No, I'm just joking. I'm not mad. <laughs> Not bad about that. You're like 25 years later. Now's, perf- now's the time to bring it up. Why didn't he perform These Women Are My Enemies? The perfect song at a wedding. <laughs> I, what I like about No Fun is um, David Uncle David will say the unsayable. He will speak the unspeakable. He's actually gotten a little more... He's gotten a little less that way. He used to be very provocative mm. on stage. Not in like a cruel way, but just in kind of like a goofy way. Right. That he'll just say what people are thinking, but maybe not saying. Right. I'll say it. I'll be the one to do that. Okay. I'll put this in the song. Yeah. I'll say these women are my enemies, which I think, you know, if people know men at all, they know that there is a slight thought of that in men's minds, hmm. especially when you're a teenager. Right. The girls are, girls are our enemies hmm. and uh, they're out to get us mm-hmm. and we have to avoid them at all costs. Right. Or at least manipulate them in some way yeah. for our so benefit. Again, when you say Uncle David, you're talking about David Sim. Yes, that's right. <laughs> No, David Sim is different than Uncle, what Uncle David saying. I, I think Uncle David's being ironic as well. Yeah. So there's no, a huge no. amount of irony in what No Fun does. No, for sure. I was just joking. But, but yeah, I mean, and especially like that teenage, like, oh, they're my enemies. A lot of that comes from like fear. Yeah, and of course it's ex- fear. Yeah, like fear and like not like mystery mm-hmm. of like, oh, like I'm supposed to be able to like interact yeah. with these people. And like there's so much expectation yes or perceived expectation in every interaction but like you don't know how to do that and you don't know how to interact with these people but they're just people but like you don't realize that Mm because that's not what you've been told and yeah yeah well if you listen to the lyrics of the song he's describing all these kind acts that women are doing for him right and then he says they're they're my enemy right so i don't know it's obviously a joke yeah i once had women fix my clothes for me so that's always i always appreciate that you did so I think that's a good I thing. I mean, yes, they were, you You and them were teenagers at the time, I yes, think. Yes, that's right. I was, just to elaborate, I was jumping off a bandstand at school one time. <laughs> and I was actually, I was on a ba- band trip. So yeah. I was in a very small town in British Columbia, about a 20-hour drive from where I lived, mm-hmm. called Hazleton. And I jumped off this riser and I tore my tight 1980s jeans <laughs> all around my crotch in a yeah, U shape. of course. 
and I had to make my way quickly to the bathroom. <laughs> Unfortunately, there were these two uh, First Nations girls who I'd mm-hmm. met on the bus going to school, and they heard about my crisis, so they came. And they got me to give them my pants. Yeah. And they took them to the sewing room and they fixed them for me. That's so And nice did a fun. really great job. Awesome. You couldn't even tell that it had yeah. been torn. So yes, I've always appreciated that. Mm-hmm. And they came and visited town one time and they phoned me at home and I could not visit them because it was ten, like nine o'clock at night and they were oh, at UBC. Right. Which was like a three hour bus ride yeah. from where I, where I lived. So I was like, I would love to come visit you only. <laughs> I'll be there at midnight yeah. and then I'll have to turn around because <laughs> the buses are, are jumping down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So that was, yeah, not, not didn't happen, but it was too bad. But I always appreciated that they did that for me. So, Mary. Yes. We now come. To the final song. To the final song of the CD, everyone. This is the sad, always the saddest song in the listening party, the last song of a CD. Do you think it's saddest when it's the last CD that you gave to someone when you gave them multiple CDs? No, I just always feel like, I feel endings are sad, and this is like the ending of this, this thing. And yeah, and, and, uh. I mean, I don't think the song is sad. I don't think it's a sad song to end. I think it's a great song to end the CD mm-hmm. with. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, I just feel like this. It's always sad to end a show and say goodbye to our friends, and we won't see them, you know, for another bye week. Right. So Fortnite. But yes. Until Mary's playing Fortnite. Yeah. So I well, I don't know if you know this, Dad, but I'm friends with all the listeners of Sneaky Dragon Listening Party on Fortnite. Oh, okay. So we just like play together <laughs> I all the time. Know. I feel really left out now. Well, I'm even should. sadder than I was. We purposefully left you out. Oh dear. Yeah. Like I never shuts up. <laughs> So I was trying to talk about record companies. Oh, so record boring. Labels. Who cares about record companies? <laughs> EM who? <laughs> well, as the, sex, as the Sex Pistol said, Mary, hmm. EMI. <laughs> All right. So uh, this is uh, Love from their fantastic third album, Forever Changes. Yes. From 1967. And the final song of the album, You Set the Scene. So let's give it a listen, everyone. This song sounds so great when you're driving in your car through Manning Park. I can't tell you how great it sounds. You probably have never experienced that. I know. But just think about driving in your car through like forest and mountain mm. while this car is playing very loudly and you're singing along with it. Well, this song. What's that? Well, this song is. Well, this song is playing, yeah. You said car. What did I say? Well, this car is playing? <sighs> it's okay. Well, this song is playing. Yes. So uh, let's listen to it now, everyone. Okay. Here we go. There are people wearing crowns to screw you up 
get nothing in return If you're nice, you bring me water If you're not, then I will
All right, Mare. Yes. I know I know you're not a fan of love. It's true. I'm not a big fan of love. And the concept? Yes. <laughs> love it. The band? Not so much. But I am a huge fan of love. And this the album, concept or the band? Both. I love I love oh, okay. love and I also love the band love. Right. I you love, love both lowercase loves. love and uppercase love. I love them both. I love uppercase love. I love as well. I love the concept of love as an uppercase concept. Right. It's an all caps concept. I don't know if it's even a capital L oh. for like, you know, love truth beauty all those sort of things all are capitalized right. philosophically right so um i know that you're not a huge fan of them but i am mm-hmm. and this song which ends a, a fantastic album i think is a great song i love i love this song because i love how what it explores which is something that i don't think would have been a something that people would have been thinking about as much in the 60s at this time hmm. the idea of death right and change right and that things weren't permanent and that you had to be prepared to to move on in this world you know mm. And I think that's a personal experience of Arthur Lee's that he's that he's singing about. But I think it should I think it should resonate with people of all times. But what did you think of it? I thought it was pretty good, actually. Oh yeah. I, I don't really as you as we've said, yeah. I do not love love. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, I thought that this song was pretty good. I don't know if it's just because I've heard it from you playing it, but it's one that I definitely had heard okay. playing before. Yeah. 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 But also. I don't know if the concept of death was really that foreign a concept at this time. Well, you know, I, like the Vietnam War was happening. It was happening. And it was not too far after the end of World War II, mm-hmm. right? Like a lot of people had experienced war times. And Well, I personally think this was the beginning of the death-denying culture we live in nowadays. Hmm. It was in the oh, 60s. Okay. And this was the summer of love. Right. This was when sunshine and happiness was going to bring peace on earth and, you know, flower power. Yep. And positive thinking is going to change the world. Yeah. And the you know, creation of the peace sign. Creation of the peace sign. Rather or not the peace sign, but the sign, the symbol. Yeah, the you know, peace symbol. Exactly. Which was created by mm-hmm. um, a British group oh. that was focused on um, nuclear... Disarmament? Disarmament, yeah. Ah, the Coalition for Nuclear Disarmament, the yeah. CND, yes. So the... Yeah. Uh, it was actually the symbol for, mm-hmm. for peace within the circle yeah. is the semaphore symbol for N. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Nuclear. Yeah, yeah. Neat. Yep. I didn't know that. Yep. That's cool. Okay, so so it's like the flag is down between the legs. Is that how they hold it? Um. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Or maybe it's no. I think it's two down. Oh, like two this. down. Like okay. It's like the person's... middle is like the person. Yeah, yeah. And then the two down. Oh, neat. But then also, if you put it upside down, yeah. then it's the symbol for you. So it could also stand for universal disarmament. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But generally, it, it was designed for nuclear disarmament. Oh, cool. Yep. All right. So it's a very ubiquitous symbol at this point, though. Well, I'm glad you liked it. I'm glad you liked it because I f- do feel like Arthur Lee was singing from a place that wasn't commonly sung from at this time period. I mean, there pro- there are other singers who were approaching these sort of topics, obviously, right. but but I think in 1967 during the Summer of Love, or as Sam Shepard called called it, the Summer Blub Blub, it was you know it was a, this real sense of optimism that positivity was going to win the day that everything was going to be great i mean in 1969 1968 1969 wiped out those kind of ideas obviously and but i think the reaction to it wasn't at, at any any more healthy than what people were thinking about during the summer of love you know which was this kind of like big hype and dishonest really hmm. in its core just the idea that people that change could come about that rapidly yeah yeah and that it wouldn't take hard work and and political involvement yeah you know and instead of being political people dropped out right you know and so in 68 and 69 people reacted to the thwarting of their their kind of 
uh, p- plans that they hadn't thought through very carefully, they reacted by dropping out and going, you know, dropping out of culture and, you know, going out into the country and forming communes and all that kind of stuff. And that became this thing where instead of being part of culture, you removed yourself from it. But yeah. you have no influence then. Mm-hmm. So culture just goes its own way and you have nothing to do with it. Yeah. You know? So it's not a really good answer. And I do feel like nowadays our culture is death denying, that we have this idea that, you know, we can we can postpone aging, we can postpone death by eating properly and stuff like that. Well, yes, that's true to a degree, but it's not going to permanently put these things off. We do have to mm-hmm. deal with the reality that, you know, one day we're not going to live in this world. Yeah. I mean, I, and wonder I think our if, culture has a hard time with that. I wonder if um, stuff like anti-vax has sort of is influenced by that as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Just the idea that like um, people aren't really aware that death is an option, you know? Well, it's, like it's maybe maybe that. I think anti-vax comes out of more an idea of of an an idea that of distrust for medicine. Partly that, and also government. the idea, but also like what's the central what's the central horror of of anti-vaxxers? The idea that if your child uses gets vac- gets vaccinated, it will become autistic. Mm-hmm. So it's the idea that uh, mental illness is is a, a, a possibility of. Of, of you know in life yeah you know and if you if you avoid getting vaccinated you mm-hmm. can avoid mental illness yeah Once yeah if again, you avoid getting vaccinated you're gonna be your kid's gonna be neurotypical forever yeah yeah it's like which is not a guarantee either no. because in their you know in your uh you know late teens early 20s schizophrenia can easily pop up yeah depression and, anxiety and depression anxiety yeah, yeah. Like, these are all possibilities ptsd from having sure. parents who didn't vaccinate them and part of part of being in a death and culture is also denying mental illnesses because when you deny mortality you deny you deny weakness hmm. you know and so mm-hmm. yeah i think we are changing now i think we are starting to see like a turnaround on these things where people are starting to, not just dealing with them but also talking about them, which is so important as well, because, you know, like growing up, we never discussed any sort of illness and things. Right. You know. Well, yeah, I mean, I've met grandma. Yeah. I've met your mom. Sure. She doesn't believe that those things exist. <laughs> Not really. Yeah. So, so like I said, this was the third and final album by the original lineup of, of Love. So that was the kind of the main players of the group, Arthur Lee, who played guitar, sang, and, and wrote songs. And Brian McLean, who also wrote songs and played guitar and sang. And Arthur Lee had met Brian McLean when McLean was a roadie for the birds. Mm-hmm. And then that's how they became acquainted with each other and started working together and becoming starting a band. And then there was Johnny Eccles, who played lead guitar, Ken Forsey on bass, and Michael Stewart Ware on drums. And what made Love a very unusual group at this time period was they were a mixed race group which is very unusual oh wow yeah because johnny eccles and arthur lee were both black and the rest Mm. of the group were white Mm. and i guess also that it was led by a black person there wasn't that many there was maybe the chambers brothers and then sly and the family stone there wasn't like a big you know i'm sure if he's sat and thought about it there'd be other groups but it wasn't like a you know common thing at that time for groups to have and i mean especially for groups that were playing to white audiences right Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. there were i'm sure black artists playing to black audiences exactly yeah 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 like black artists who were playing to yeah that's the other thing, unusual thing about love is that yeah they were playing in like a folk rock idiom or a rock idiom rather mm-hmm. than in a, in a r&b idiom yeah and so by this point in the group's career their their their, ch- their chances of commercial success had dwindled to very little like very low chances uh mostly due to the fact that arthur lee refused to tour i think that's partly because he was a control freak and and I I always think whenever I hear of a, a band member who has crazy demands in a band, it makes me think that they're control freaks because that's a way of controlling the other band members is to not to tour. You know, right? You are setting 
you were setting the the agenda in the band. Mm-hmm. So there was friction between the band members, particularly between Lee and fellow band member McLean. But Brian McLean wanted more of his songs on the records, and Arthur Lee wanted more of his songs on the records. So that's a natural clash right there. Uh, the phenomenal success of another act of their label, Electra Records, The Doors, who Love had brought to the attention of Electra Records. So there's the rub. Mm-hmm. This band, this band of like young guys who looked up to to The Doors, were introduced by the by Love to to Electra Records, and then The Doors became this huge success. Right. And Love were just Love were stagnating yeah. in L.A. Yeah. So that was you know a downer. And then the band. Well, they regularly dose themselves with LSD, and mm. the members were using heroin, mm. and that can also eat away at a band's identity. Yeah, sure can. You know, so, and I think it is a ref- as a reflection of where the band was, uh, flautist Jade Cantrelli, who had played on the previous album De Capo, as well as Albin Snoopy Fister, who played drums in the first album and then played keyboards in the second. He left. Oh, by the way, one of the greatest names in rock music, Albin Albin Snoopy Fister. Yep. P F I S T E R E R. Okay. Uh, they both left left the group, so they're back down to like a you know a small quintet. Uh, so um, Jack Holtzman had a meeting with Love. Maybe he, I think he was a little concerned of what was happening with this group. And in the meeting, he suggested to Lee that he move forward by going backwards, or as Jack Holtzman's put it, that he should advance backwards. Hmm. And what he meant was that Lee should draw from folk music's more subtle approach for his next album. Maybe feeling that the band had kind of hit a dead end with like what they're trying to do with the rock sound, and particularly trying to do a twenty-minute side, like a sidelong blues excursion called Revelation, was no was no big uh, no big help. No, that's not gonna get played on the radio. No, that's not gonna or even on anyone's record players. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's gonna listen to the first side with all the six beautiful pop songs, and mm-hmm. then <clears throat> ignore the twenty-minute-long blues workout. Yeah, and Lee, who could be quite, usually quite truculent quite a stubborn character he actually agreed with Holtzman and started writing songs with that in mind and so this album is primarily acoustic acoustic based with some rock in it rock guitar in it but it's mostly mostly blues based and uh so Bruce Botnick who had produced the first two albums returned with uh to co-produce with Lee on the album and having just finished work on the Buffalo Springfield's second album Buffalo Springfield again uh Botnick had invited Neil Young to uh, come into the album and do some work on it but Young was more interested in starting his solo career, and so he declined. And he has been credited with doing arrangements on a song called The Daily Planet on the album, but he has denied that, so I'll trust him, you know. Although probably people don't remember things that they've done in the past, over, you know, when years have passed. Um, so the recording of the album started at Sunset, Suns, Sunset Sound Recorders in June 1967, which it was a very popular place, very popular studio at the time. The Beach Boys did a lot of recording there. But the band was in such disarray and woefully unprepared for uh, Lee's intricate arrangements that Botnick brought in some of LA's best session musicians, namely Billy Strange on guitar, Don Randy on piano, Hal Blaine on drums, and Carol Kay on bass to work with Lee and complete the sessions. So they did two songs, And More Again, and The Daily Planet. But the band itself was so shocked that they were replaced, and so easily, Mm -hmm. and so competently, that it really threw them. And so they asked if they could take some time to rehearse and so they rehearsed intense intensively like for a month and a half and they returned to the studio in august and recorded the album in two weeks hmm. super quickly they did they did like really fast like i think in 48 hours of recording time they were done oh, wow. the record it cost like twenty twenty seven hundred dollars to record the whole album and then um lee then spent two more weeks uh, arranging the album 
by you know, like he would just sing the arrangements he wanted to a, a ranger, and then the guy would like do the uh, the musical charts for him, and then the album was done. But uh, so one of the problems in the record though was that Lee took a song that Brian McLean had written and sung called "Alone Again Or," mm-hmm. and he took off Brian McLean's lead vocals mm. and put his own kind of backing vocals to the fore in the song right and so again control freak control freak and so uh brian mcclain left the band after this their final single as a group together which was called uh your mind and we belong together which we will hear in the because i love that song and we'll hear it in the collection of in one of these mixtapes uh so yeah mcclain left the band and then and then uh, arthur lee dismissed the rest of the group soon after and reformed love as a kind of love mark too with a, a wholly different group hmm. The different, totally different sound and different band, and not quite as good, I don't think, as the original Love. But I think that song is a great song, Mary. I thought it was pretty good, too. Yeah, I love it. All right, well, I'm glad to hear that you liked it so much. Well. That's very, that's very uh, good. I'm glad I'm slowly uh, changing your mind about Love. Soon I will be playing mm, songs for you. I don't know about that. You'll be like, oh, Dad, I heard Orange Skies. It's so good. I don't know. I don't know. She, my love, she comes in colors. What a song, Dad. Well, to be fair, I haven't heard much love since high school. Yeah. So it's possible that my feelings on it have changed. There you go. You've grown up. You've grown into a better person. However, Stephen Malcolmus and the Jicks. <laughs> no. <laughs> nope. It's nope. Too bad. Nope. Nope. They're very good. All right, everyone. So uh, that's Dylan O'Connell's mixtape. And Dylan, I hope you enjoyed the mixtape I gave you. And maybe you'll listen to it again with uh, with different ears now that you've heard some of our thoughts on it and the, the uh, my approach to it anyway. Yes, or maybe. lack of approach, as the case may be. <laughs> My sloppy. Yep. That sloppy mixtape I made for you, Dylan. I hope you appreciated it. <laughs> anyway, I wasn't sloppy. I mean, I did think about it, but I just—I don't know what, what my thinking was at the beginning of the whole project. I, I don't know why I didn't like do. I don't know if I was thinking like. Oh, I don't know what I was thinking. I was thinking should they be ninety minutes, maybe? Hmm. Like they should be like a mixtape. Right. Like an actual mixtape that you get in a, like a. Well, like on tape. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. I don't know what I was doing. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I was just a dum dum. So anyway, Mary. Yes. What do you have to say? Um, should I tell people how they can contact us? Sure. You can contact us on our website. Okay. Which is sneakydragon.com. Mm-hmm. You can post on the forums there. Yep. You can also send us an email. Okay. At sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. Okay. Or you can follow us on Facebook at Sneaky Dragon. Yep. Or on Twitter at sneaky underscore dragon. Nice. Or you can follow Dad at Dave Dedrick. Okay. Not me. I don't okay. have Twitter. You don't have Twitter? Um, but yeah, and the reason that all this stuff is Sneaky Dragon is because we are part of the, uh, we are owned by the Sneaky Dragon Company. Sneaky, Sneaky Dragon, Dragon Network. Corporation. We're a subsidiary. <laughs> well, that's really good. So I meant to say this last week, Mayor. Yes. But we're now we're a year and one show in. I think you said that we were but a year. I was going to say, I really appreciate you doing the show with me. I really oh, enjoy it. thank you. I enjoy I, it too. I have fun every bi-week. Good. Every us, fortnight. Every us coming together and disagreeing over the term mm-hmm. bi-week, which is a well-known fortnight. term. Not, No, it's not, It though. is a well-known no, term. No, it's not. You've never heard the term bi-weekly. I've heard the term bi-weekly. Well, there you go, bi-week. But bi-week is not yeah. anything. No, it's a bi-week. It's not. It's two weeks from now. It's like yeah. when mm-hmm. I was I was watching Phineas and Ferb. Yeah. And Dr. Doofenshmirtz said that something was uncanny. Yeah, that's And then he was word. like, just kidding. It was completely canny. That's another word. And it was like, not really a thing that people say. <laughs> no, you know? it's true. It's kind of gone the way of the dodo. Yeah. Like the dodo. Yeah. The dodo went the way of the dodo. Sure did. It's clubbed. <laughs> it's eggs eaten by pigs. So everyone, please send us your comments and thoughts about our shows. We do love to hear from you. 
people who'd like to send in their own mixtapes uh, ideas, I would love to read those as well because I really enjoy mixtapes and mm-hmm. I'd love to hear what people, how people put their own together and their thoughts on their mixtapes. That's also really important. Yep. So, um, yeah, we will see you again very soon. In Fortnite. Yeah. And uh, if you enjoy the show, make sure you listen to the Fansplainers. Listen to, I'm, what am I saying this for? Pretty much everyone listens to the show must come out of the Sneaky Dragon family somehow because. Also, it's coming up on a year as to when Duncan and I said that we were going to start doing a podcast. Oh, really? Still haven't. Oh, dear. Well, you should um, make a point of like coming here together. Yes, I know. And use use the equipment here. We should. And then it could be very easily and quickly done. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I should probably wait until you're done coloring. No. Okay. We'll fit it in. I mean, we put it off 11 months already. I'm sure it can wait no, another couple months. You should months. never put it off. You should do it right away. All right. So, soonest, what is it? Soonest done? Soonest, or sooner done? Soonest mended or something? I don't know. Me neither. Okay. A stitch in time save nine? Mm, I don't think it's relevant here. Haste makes waste? Don't, well, no. First mm. past the post? No, no not really. Gets the most? An expression here, but. Yeah, those are all aphorisms, well known aphorisms. I don't, well, no. A table in nine? Put yourself on the line. Okay. Well, that's it for this week. A lamp, a lamp in the dark. A walk in the park. Okay. All right. So we'll see you in two weeks in a fortnight. Not a bye week because that is nothing. We'll see you in a fortnight. <laughs> and uh, bye. Things thrown in the trash give you a rash. Okay. Well, we're putting this, turning this podcast off. This is ridiculous. <laughs> you can't just rhyme stuff and say it's an expression. It doesn't mean anything. An expression is meant when your car gets a dent. Oh, my God. Okay. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, bye, dear. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>